I find it very helpful if, before I study any, a particular chapter from John's Gospel, to read the first chapter first. That Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, that he was, is now, and ever shall be one in being with the Father, that there was never a time when the Son was not one with the Father, that he is the light that has come into the world and the darkness cannot overcome the light. Jesus is a divine person with a human nature, and that means he sees things as his Father sees them, not as we do. This keeps me grounded as I study the rest of the gospel. Now, our gospel text this evening begins, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. The third day refers to the period of time after Jesus chose his disciples. The verse continues with a very interesting order of persons. And the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. Did you notice Mary is mentioned first in the order of persons? John does this on purpose. Now, the Apostle John, who took care of Mary after Jesus' resurrection, must have heard an awful lot about Jesus. Could you imagine the dinner conversations the Apostle and Mary would have had? The information that John was given... And yet John never refers to Mary by her name, but only as the mother of Jesus. And he mentions her only twice in his gospel, the wedding feast at Cana, and where else? At the foot of the cross. Now, why would the apostle not refer to Mary by her name? Just as the archangel Gabriel goofed up, and did not first call Mary by her name and scared her, but instead he called her by her title, Kekeritomene, full of grace. So too the Apostle John saw in Mary more than what her name reveals. But what? Mary approached her son to intercede for a young couple who ran out of wine. Now, a wedding feast in those days was often an elaborate affair that would go for days. It's often referred to in Scripture as a symbol of the marriage between God and his chosen people. To run out of wine would have produced tremendous embarrassment for the couple. It would have been construed as a lack of planning, as a lack of hospitality. So Mary said to her son, they have no wine. And Jesus responded in three ways. First, he said, woman. Second, he asked her, how does your concern affect me? It can also be translated, what is this to me and to you? Now, some are shocked that Jesus would call his mother woman. But remember, Jesus is a divine person. Always one in being with his father, he sees things as his father sees them. And by calling his mother woman, from whom he took his human nature, he called her to be something more than his mother. He called her to be his disciple. Third, he said, my hour is not yet come. 
This is the first reference to the mystery of Jesus' hour, meaning his passion, death, and resurrection. And notice that this first mention of this mystery is given to whom? His mother. Now, his disciple. Now, what did Mary really know about her son? She knew from her encounter with the archangel Gabriel that Jesus was not conceived in the ordinary way, but by a powerful mystery. When the Magi came, she would have pondered what the gift of frankincense would have meant since only priests were allowed to use frankincense and Jesus was not of a priestly caste. She would have been taken aback by the gift of myrrh because myrrh was used for what? Embalming the dead. And she would have been somewhat frightened by the appearance of these shepherds, the roughnecks of her day, who came to adore her child because an angel told them the child was their savior. Now clearly Mary knew her son was no ordinary man. But at that wedding, did she know the whole truth about Jesus? No. Like you, like me, Mary had to learn the fullness of the truth, as does every disciple. Mary, mother, and now disciple, told the servers, do whatever he tells you. These are the only words John has Mary speaking in his gospel. These are the words of one who is mother of God and disciple, and to become the model of discipleship. They become words of instruction to every generation of believers who will listen to the gospel. Do whatever he tells you. She has interceded for the poor couple. She has accepted her role as disciple, and she has instructed the servants to obey her son. She had no idea what Jesus was going to do, but... She was confident he would not refuse her request to show compassion for this couple. And then we need to ask, do we have the same level of trust? Do we have the same level of confidence in the divine compassion? And if not, why? The gospel tells us there were six stone water jars used for ritual purification, for bathing or washing things before coming into the presence of God. What no one realized at that wedding, of course, was what? God came into their presence in the person of his son. They were utterly clueless. And how often do you and I forget that God has come into our presence he has come into our moment of pain. He has come into our moment of loss. He's come into our moment of fear and confusion and doubt. He's come into our moments of joy. But why do we forget that? Jesus ordered the servers to fill the stone water jars, and they did so to the brim. Now, folks, we're talking 120 to 180 gallons of water being turned into vintage wine here. More than enough for all the wedding festivities. Such 
scandalous abundance was a sign of how deeply God desires to treat those who place their trust in him and the salvation he brings to his people. As the prophet Amos wrote many centuries earlier, the mountains shall drip with the juice of grapes and all the hills shall run with it. But notice what was absent in the miracle. Jesus didn't utter any words. I command you to turn into wine. He didn't prance about and do mumbo-jumbo sort of magical rituals. He simply willed that water become wine. And it was done. Again showing what? Jesus has all the power and authority of his Father, because he has always been, is now, forever shall be, one in being with his Father. Jesus is God. There follows what I think is kind of a comical element. Now, Jesus ordered the servers to draw some of the water just made wine and take it to the head waiter, who was responsible to oversee every aspect of the wedding feast and no doubt was absolutely horrified they were running out of wine, probably pulling every hair out of his head to figure out what he could possibly do to make this thing work. He was probably as panic-stricken as the bridegroom was. Well, the head waiter drank the wine and was surprised by its quality, to say nothing of the quantity. And he approached the bridegroom and said, and, you know, uh, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people are drunk freely, an inferior one, but you kept the good wine until now. And the bridegroom had no idea what the heck this guy was talking about. He had to have been utterly bewildered and hugely relieved at the same time. One minute the wine ran out, and the next there was an abundance of premium wine. And I just picture Jesus with his mother, his disciple now, chuckling to themselves as the head waiter, the bridegroom, and the servers are all trying to figure this thing out with human logic and come up empty. Divine compassion never confined to the limitations of our thinking, always overflows with abundance. And the best response that we can give is gratitude. 